So let me ask you a question. What if I told you God wanted to take you on the greatest adventure of your life? How many would be in? Look around the room. Keep your hands up. Come on. All right. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Now, what if I told you that God wanted to take you on the greatest adventure of your life, but you would have to face your greatest fear? Still, I see hands (laughs) dropping. I see hands dropping. (laughs) Okay, one more question. What if I told you God wanted to take you on the greatest adventure of your life? You'd have to face your greatest fear along the way, but he promised He guaranteed the God of the universe would be with you every second of every day, directing your every move. Anyone in? Well, today I want to take a look at the story of Gideon. And Gideon is found in Judges chapter 6 and 7. And I'm going to summarize it for you because it's a lot of verses, but Israel had sinned against God many times, over and over and over, and to the point where God had just had enough, and he said, you know, we just, there's got to be some consequences. Some things have to change. And so he allowed the Midianites uh, to invade and oppress their their country. And they were like locusts. They just came in, and they destroyed everything. The, The Israelites would have planted um, their crops, they would have har- their, their livestock. And the Midianites would just come in and they would settle into the land and they would absolutely destroy everything, livestock. There was no food, there was nothing. And so a lot of the Israelites, the majority of the Israelites, they fled. They fled into the mountainsides and, and they hid in fear of their lives. And while Gideon, he didn't flee He lived in constant fear. He was discouraged and doubtful that life would ever be different. He had settled for just surviving. So the story begins with Gideon, and he's hiding in a wine press. His family had a wine press, and he's threshing wheat. Now, my guess is that um, you don't thresh your wheat you don't press your grapes. Anybody? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some context to that. Now, Gideon is in a, a wine press, which was a closed and hidden space. It was nice and cool, but there were no grapes to be had. And so um, families would thresh their wheat in this open area where it had access to the wind. And what would happen is as they threshed the wheat, the wind would carry away the chaff and it would leave the grain. And families would, they would bring, they would actually build their threshing floors all close together in a community. And the reason they did that is because they would help each other. They they would share vital information. They would would talk and and, and it was like a social hour of they would do this thing together. And so, The enemy had then made those threshing floors inaccessible to families. So families are no, they're completely abandoning these threshing floors. So now they find themselves isolated. Now these families can't talk. 
This army has come in and has invaded, and they're unable to share information or strategize against the enemy. It was isolation. Seems like a classic strategy of the enemy, right? Isolation, sound familiar? So why was Gideon hiding? Why did he just settle to survive? He was terrified. He was so afraid for his life. He was just trying to survive. You know, many of us, we do the same, right? We hide behind a facade pretending all things are good. We settle for survival. We just got to make it to the weekend, right? Some of you had big dreams for your kids and now things are hard and you're just, just trying to keep them alive until they're out of the house. But why? Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of disappointment. You know, fear will drive us to hide or to just survive. But when the, the healthiest thing that we can actually do is just to be honest, just to be honest with our God who already knows. So let me take you back to 1994. It was a weekday afternoon. It was my fourth period class. I was in the seventh grade. And I had to do a very dreaded oral book report. And I was always a little bit nervous getting up to do any kind of report. But as I got up to present, my hands were sweaty. My knees were shaky. This time just felt different. Suddenly, my heart started to race. And it got louder and louder and louder until I started to feel dizzy, lost my focus, I can't, I can't hear anything but my heartbeat racing. And I started to panic. And I, I had to cut my presentation short and excuse myself to the restroom. I could just settle down. That day became, became a lifelong battle with anxiety and panic. Some seasons I'd find myself feeling normal like my, myself, and other days, other times I felt like I was wrestling daily with this plague that was debilitating. Nothing seemed to alleviate the vicious cycle. Fear of panic, causing panic, creating more panic. Round and round we go. It wasn't the people I feared, it was my own body. In college, I waited until my last semester to take speech class, making every effort to avoid speaking. I hid as much as possible out of fear and anxiety, and I thought if I could just get through school, I would never have to speak again. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. Fast forward, it was 2010. I was a working mom of two, pastor's wife, and my husband asked me if I wanted to go to a women's conference. At the time, I was very focused on my career in medicine, and I really did not have any interest in going to a women's conference. I'm just being honest. But some friends convinced me to go, and so I went. 
I got there, and uh, I got on the elevator at our hotel, and a woman was in there, and she was on crutches, and she had a big knee brace on, and I said, oh, what did you do to your knee? Being in medicine, I'm very empathetic, and I also had knee surgery that was absolutely not fun, and so I struck up this conversation, said, what'd you do? And she said, I, I tore every ligament in my knee from a skiing accident, and I said, oof, I am so sorry. I would have 10 C-sections again before I would have a knee surgery. <laughs> and then I very unethically offered her some prescription anti-inflammatory topical medicine <laughs> and asked her if she was attending the women's conference. That's how I met Christine Kane. God crossed my paths with Christine. <laughs> And she was a perfect stranger to me. And that night, she was the keynote speaker and a divine appointment. It's hard to believe, but that was the very first time that I had ever heard of human trafficking. Not many people even knew about human trafficking in 2010. And if you did, chances are you did not think that it happened in the United States. You know, it's hard enough to believe that slavery was still alive anywhere in the world, but certainly not in the United States. I went home knowing that God was at work in my heart, but I dug my heels in the sand out of fear. Fast forward, Christine came, came to speak at our women's conference and by divine appointment, God arranged for us to spend the whole week together. And... When she left, one of our security team told us, hey, if you want to fight human trafficking, you don't have to go anywhere. It's happening right here in Charleston. And I thought, no, there is no way. That began nine months of spiritual warfare for me. Like the story of Jonah and the whale, God was calling me to go to Nineveh, and I said, no, thank you. I am headed to Tarshish. I knew God was calling me to do something, but I was terrified. I was having nightmares and could not sleep. My anxiety was out of control, and I could not stop thinking about these girls that were held captive. Finally, one morning, something just broke in me. I was done running. I found myself on my face before the Lord, a total wreck, and I was ready to surrender my plan for his plan. God, who am I? I can't do this. I'm unqualified and I'm weak. I'm scared and I'm broken. And I'm not enough to do what you want me to do. And that's where I had it wrong. Gideon had the same response. If you're taking notes or you're using our app, can follow along, the first thing we learn from Gideon's story is that we have to know who we are. Know who you are. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 12. It says, the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Go and save Israel. Other version says, the Lord is with you, O powerful soldier. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor, 
Pardon me, Lord, Gideon says. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the weakest in the family. He says, are you serious? My clan is the weakest of the weak, and I'm the least of them all. I am the runt of the litter, and you want me to go and save a nation. And God says, perfect. You're the man for the job. Oh, mighty warrior. You see, the culture had given Gideon a name and an identity, the least of the least. And God said, what a lie. Can I ask you, what lies are you struggling with? What are the lies that you hear so often over and over in your head that you've just kind of adopted it as part of your identity? Broken, unwanted, unqualified. I'm just an addict. I'm never going to change. Inadequate. I'm a victim. I'm weak. I'm unlovable. Just not enough. Can I remind you what God says about you? He says, you are greatly loved. You are a friend of God. You are chosen. You are set apart and you are more than conquerors. You are his messenger, his workmanship. You are free, free indeed. You are brand new. You are created with a purpose. You are a child of the almighty God. And my friend, nobody puts baby in a corner. Sometimes it's hard for us to stop hiding and really believe that we are who God says we are. You know, I'll never forget the day we brought our firstborn baby home. I love babies. I love the coos and the smiles. I love the baby smell. I could just smell their head all day long. I love footed pajamas. Who doesn't love footed pajamas? But you know what I don't love? I don't love poop. (laughs) No one wants to deal with poop. And I remember we were about to load our little precious baby in his carrier, get in the car and go home. And I thought, I'm going to change his diaper before we go. I don't want him to be uncomfortable. I'm going to do everything by the book. And so I go to change his diaper, and I pull the diaper down. I pull his legs up, and sorry for the details. All of a sudden, I hear a grunt, and I quickly jump out of the way, and suddenly there is a poop mural on the wall. (laughs) And I'm like, I had no idea this little tiny thing could do that. (laughs) But here's the thing. We would do anything to care for our sweet, precious babies, wouldn't we? When you have a precious baby, you don't care about poop anymore. And God, he sees us as his precious kids. We're not bothering him with the poop in our lives. We all have poop. Poop happens, okay? (laughs) Flaws, sin, weaknesses. That's the poop in our lives. But oftentimes, it's the stuff that keeps us hiding from God. And fear kept Gideon hiding. 
friends, the second thing we learn is that we have got to stop hiding. God called Gideon out of hiding, and he knows that Gideon is the least of the least, yet he still chose him. You know, Gideon cannot believe what is happening. The angel of the Lord comes to him and finds him hiding in this wine press, and he's like, are you really here? Is this really happening? So if it's not enough that the angel of the Lord found him in this very obscure place, he needs some confirmation. So Judges 6, 17 says, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. He says, give me a sign. So the angel of the Lord is standing there. They're in the wine press and he says, okay, if you really are who you say you are, will you just wait here? I'm gonna go do something real quick and I'll be, I'll be right back. And the angel of the Lord says, sure, I'm glad to wait. And let me tell you, he is not running to the back to get a loaf of bread. He's actually going to prepare a whole meal. He's going to prepare a goat. He's going to bake bread. He is asking the angel of the Lord to wait probably for a couple of hours. So Gideon comes back and he has his offering. And the angel of the Lord instructs him. He says, put, put the bread and the meat on this rock. Now take the broth and dump it all over it. Soak it. And the angel of the Lord takes his staff and he touches the offering. And fire comes up. And Gideon is suddenly awestruck. He's like, I have seen the face of the Lord. And I love what the angel of the Lord says. He says, don't worry, you're not going to die. You're going you're gonna to be okay. So then Gideon goes along and he's like, okay, I know this is ridiculous, God. But if you're really asking me to do this, I just, I need you to do me a favor. So he brings out a fleece and he says, okay, God, if you really want to use me, the runt of the litter, to save a nation, I just, I know you just lit that thing on fire, but can you just give me another sign? So he says, I'm going to lay this fleece out. And in the morning, if you could just have the ground wet, I'm sorry, the ground dry and the fleece wet, I'll know. I'll know that you're asking me to do this. And so the next morning he gets up, he comes out, and there's dust on his shoes. He goes over to the fleece, he picks it up, and it's dripping, drenched. He's having to wring it out. You know, at that point, if I were God, I would think, okay, surely he's ready to go. I've done all these things, lit things on fire, soaked a thing. And Gideon says, Judges 639, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Just one more. Allow me to test with the fleece. But this time, could you just make the fleece dry and the ground wet? I mean, who knows? It could have been a fluke. A sheep could have come over and peed on the last one. I don't know. Just Let's just do this one more time. I mean, if it were me, I would have been like, 
Do I have the right guy? I don't know. I'm not sure. Just a sidebar. The enemy is constantly in our ear. Am I really the right mom for my kids? Can I really do this? Can I remind you that God chose you? God chose you. What I love is that after all of this, God's response is simple. And he says, I'm sorry. That night he said, yes, I'll do it. And he did so. Don't you see our God, he is long suffering with endless patience an immense space for our faults and our shortcomings. So many times we find ourselves hiding because we are just believing these lies about who we are. And we act as though we have it all together, hiding behind a facade, never really being honest about how we're really doing. We find ourselves locked in shame over our insecurities. And God says, stop hiding. Just come to me, flaws and all. I am happy to wait. The third thing that we learn is sometimes we just have to go afraid. We've got to watch God move. We've got to watch him do it. Judges 6.14 says, go in the strength that you have. I will be with you. God knew Gideon did not have the qualifications, the credentials, the pedigree, the experience to lead an army against a vast Midianite. He didn't ask him to. He said, go in the strength that you have. He didn't ask Gideon to get it together, to be more courageous, to be more qualified. He simply asked that Gideon would go in the strengths and the weaknesses he had in, the, in that moment and trust God to show up. And so Gideon went afraid. I've had to learn to go afraid. God doesn't expect me to become someone I'm not. I still battle with anxiety, but God is giving me victory. He shows up when I show up. So let's jump back into the story. So God gave Gideon multiple signs along the way. So he tells him, blow a trumpet, send a message out to the surrounding areas. And like that, 32,000 men show up. There is no reason why this should have happened. Gideon was the least of the least, zero authority. But yet, once again, God moves and 32,000 men show up. Then God says, hey, you know, I'm glad that made you feel better, that there's 32,000 men. You might think you could do this. But he says, Israel will boast that their own strength saved them. So 32,000, that's just way too many. I know that the army is 135,000 people, but 32,000 is still way too many. So he says, ask the men, who of you... Who of you is afraid? And out of 32,000, 22,000 said, I'm afraid. I really don't want to do this. I'm just here. And so he says, go home. So now he has 10,000 that remain. 
God looks down and he says, nope, that's still way too many. 10,000, I know the odds are still really stacked against them, but 10,000 is just too many. And so he says, take them down to the river. And those of them who, who lean down and they drink the water from the river with their mouth, all those guys gotta go home. The ones who cup the water and they lap the water out of their hands like a dog. Can I just sidebar my, my opinion? Definitely not in the Bible. If God said, pick the ones that lap water like a dog, I'd be like, are you serious? They can't be the sharpest tools in the shed, God. Come on. But God says, that's your army. 300. 300. Against 135 thousand. So he says, you're still afraid, aren't you? And Gideon says, yes, yes, I am. He says, okay, well, I'll send a friend with you. I want you to go to the Midianite army at night. I want you to just sneak over there and just spy, just check it out. So he and the friend go over to the, to the Midianite camp and they're hiding and they're li- they overhear a conversation. And it's two soldiers who are talking. And one of them is sharing a dream that he had. And the dream was that a round barley loaf of bread rolled into the Midianite camp, hit a tent with such force that it caused the tent to just collapse. And the friend looks at him and he says, I know what that means. And he begins to interpret the dream and he says, that can only mean that God is gonna give the Midianite camp all into the hands of Gideon. So Gideon is sitting there listening to this and he hears his name. He hears that the enemy already knows that they're defeated before they even step foot into battle. And I just want to tell you that the enemy already knows in your own life that he is defeated. You just have to be the one to believe it. The day that I surrendered was the day that I began a journey and an adventure with God. There are so many details to this story. I wish I had time to tell you them all because God was in every single detail and it was the most wild ride, the most incredible adventure. As I surrendered, God opened up doors to join A21, which is a nonprofit that fights human trafficking. Those of you who heard Christine Kane speak, she talked a lot about this organization that now has offices in 19 different countries and fighting human trafficking and taking ground. And so we launched the very first on the ground office in the United States for A21. And at the time, South Carolina didn't have a human trafficking task force. They didn't have a human trafficking law for the state. So all trafficking cases had to be prosecuted on a federal level. This means that no one was prosecuted for human trafficking. They might be prosecuted for for rape, for kidnapping, but never for human trafficking unless it was a federal case. 
And God began to give incredible, massive favor. And he opened up all these doors, and I was invited to go to an FBI conference in which I met ICE and DEA agents and victim witness coordinators for the U.S. Attorney's Office. And so as I started to build relationships with these people, um, I was asked to speak at Chosen, and I invited one person from every entity to come and just talk about the, the problem of human trafficking. And while we were talking, suddenly and totally unintentionally, everyone in the room sort of realized like, oh, we, we really need a human trafficking task force because everyone's sort of operating in silos of information. This information needs to be shared. We need to strategize together. And so a victim witness coordinator for the U.S. Attorney's Office, she and I just decided we were going to start praying that God would move mountains. I went to the ICE office, and I, I just was asking questions. We were working on a feasibility study, and I just asked, what are the chances of us getting a human trafficking law? What are the chances of us getting a task force? And they kind of looked at me like, you're going to need a miracle. You see, how this works is you have to have successful prosecutions in order to get funding, and there was just a whole lot of red tape that was going to cause this process to be a very long process. Two weeks later after that ICE meeting, I got a call from that same victim witness coordinator for the U.S. Attorney's Office, and she said, you're never going to believe this. She said, the U.S. attorney called me into his office and he said, we just had a bill come into our office and I need you to come and take a look at it. You work with these victims daily and I just, I need you to to look at it and tell me what is it missing? What do we need to, I want to create a law, a human trafficking law for the state of South Carolina that is nearly unprecedented in the United States. So she went and she started working through it. Today, there's a human trafficking law for the state of South Carolina that is nearly unprecedented. It, ca- it calls for forfeiture of assets from the traffickers, taking the, that money and giving it to uh, help with survivors' recovery. It's consecutive sentencing, not just for this many people, it's this amount of time. It's consecutive sentencing. God moved in a way that we never could have imagined. And she said, I hope you don't mind, but I was telling the U.S. attorney about your nonprofit and what you guys are doing around the world, and I hope you don't mind, but we went ahead and made you the primary NGO for the state task force, and I was hoping that you could be at the state capitol uh, just a couple months from now for our very first human trafficking task force meeting. And I thought... Only you, God. This terrified, anxious, panic-stricken person, I got to go on a journey where I just jumped on a fast-moving train that he was already driving. He was the conductor. I just got to be along for the ride and watch him do impossible things, things that seemed like they could never happen. Just a few months later, we had our very first survival. 
where we successfully prosecuted her trafficker and put him in jail. From there, we watched hundreds of girls be impacted, and they are still continuing to be impacted. Can I tell you, friends, don't miss the adventure. If you learn anything from Gideon, he got to do the same. He got to go on this adventure where God kept opening doors and, and moving in ways that he never could have imagined. It's our choice. We can choose to live in fear, crippled in the corner, or we can trust the God of the universe to take us on this incredible adventure. God had bigger and better plans for Gideon, and he has big and better plans for us. We've got to trust him. We've got to take the adventure. Gideon learned to trust God over time, and he, God is patient. He'll do the same for you and for me. You know, sometimes it requires us to make some, some hard moves, to be the healthiest versions of ourselves. You know, my mental health journey is my responsibility. If I had a, a heart problem, I'd have no shame going to the doctor and taking medicine to heal. Can I tell you that mental health should be the same? Needing help with mental health does not mean that you don't trust God. Taking medicine doesn't mean that you don't trust God. Can God heal you? 1,000%. However he wants to. Might he do it with medicine? Maybe. So can I just say, if you're struggling with mental health, shame off of you. Ask God to direct your steps and chase after healing. Take responsibility to be mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy as you can be and be that vessel to go on an incredible adventure with God. So back to the story. After Gideon hears the dream and the interpretation, he falls down before the Lord in worship because he's heard his name. There is no denying that he is gonna do it. So Gideon is looking at this army and says the camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. But, but Gideon is not intimidated. He goes back to the army and he says, go and do as I do. Surround the entire camp, blow trumpets, and then I want you to smash these clay jars that have these big torches inside of them. And so verse 21 says, then they stood and watched as the whole vast army began rushing around in panic, shouting and running away. For in the confusion the Lord caused, the enemy troops began fighting and killing each other from one end of the camp all the way to the other. I love a good underdog story, don't you? God used 300 men to set Israel free. The point of the story is not Gideon doing something miraculous. The point of the story is that God showed up in his unmatched and 
miraculous power despite Gideon's weakness. He's our dad. He's our loving father. He is patient. He is long-suffering, and he is kind. And he guided Gideon to do hard things, big things, seemingly impossible things, things that had a ripple effect on a nation. And even more than saving a nation, God revealed himself to a lost people through a man that he found hiding in a winepress. He moved Gideon from a place of surviving to thriving. He has that for you and me. There is no greater adventure than being used by God to do great things. He took Gideon on the adventure of his life, all the while revealing who he really was, an omnipotent, omniscient, the alpha and omega. But yet he's our dad. So can I encourage you, know who you are, child of God, oh mighty warrior. Let's stop hiding, let's start healing. Let's go afraid in the strength that we have. Let's not miss out on the incredible adventure that he has. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for just, Lord, the many, many adventures that are in this room waiting to be had. God, I pray, Father, that you would meet each person right where they're at. Lord, with their flaws, their insecurities, their sin. God, but you don't see all of that. You see a precious child that you love dearly. So God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the strength to follow after you, to chase after our healing, to do all that you desire to do in and through our lives, God? We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.